Welcome to Gladiatrix. I am woman and hear me roar. I'm your host, Malini Sarma. Every week, I will be speaking with women from all over the world who will be sharing their journeys, their stories about overcoming their fears and achieving great things that they thought they never could. So if you don't want to miss a story, make sure you subscribe. Before we talk about today's show, I would like to say thank you to all my guests who have been featured on the Gladiatrix podcast to date. I have a dream. There are 193 countries in the United Nations, and I have a dream that I can host at least one woman from every country in the world on this podcast. That is 193 countries, 193 stories, on 193 shows. So if you know of somebody who should be featured on the show, please drop me a note. I would really appreciate it. In today's episode, we're speaking with Angelica Waite, who is from Kenya. Angie, as she is popularly known, is the youngest of nine and grew up in the village. She moved to Nairobi to study travel and tourism management. And today, she has her own business. But going from college to starting her own business was not an easy journey. And this is her story. Hey, Angie. Thank you so much for coming to the show. I'm really, really excited because you are my first guest from the African continent. And I am so excited to have you on the show. Thanks, Malini. I am honored to be part of this show. My name is Angelica Waite from Kenya. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm hearing your story. I'm sure there's so many other women who can relate and who can uh, who are just waiting to hear all about you. You had said mm-hmm. that um, you grew up in Kenya in a, in a traditional household in the village and you're the yes. youngest of nine. Yeah. Yes. So what were some of the um, experiences that shaped your upbringing? What, you know, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yes, I grew up in uh, a small village in Kenya, mm-hmm. a peasant farmer sort of family, and uh, I'm the ninth in the family. I am actually the last one. Okay. And growing up, um, I experienced, much as we didn't have so much to talk about in terms of property, there's a lot of love that went around the kitchen or around the fireplace where we all sat and told stories. So growing up, um, let me say I, was, I had a very happy childhood mm-hmm. in terms of brothers and sisters. I know I found myself on the receiving end most of the times when they want somebody to bully, when they are looking for mm-hmm. somebody to send around, that was me. <laughs> and therefore as, uh, <laughs> therefore, as I grew up, I secretly, without them knowing, I had this urge to be the leader. Mm-hmm. I had this urge to be noticed. Mm-hmm. And so as I grew up, because I liked singing, I loved singing from when I was little, I found myself in the school choir, mm-hmm. singing the solo, singing the duet, mm-hmm. you know. And I think it was that urge of being at the front and being seen as a leader mm-hmm. that really kept pushing me. 
And yes, I stayed in the village, um, went to school to the primary school level, secondary school level within the same area mm-hmm. until when I was uh, now joining college and that's how I came to the capital. Yeah, that was that is a background of how I grew up. Mm-hmm. Yes. So so when um so you, you studied in um prim- in primary and secondary school in the village and then when you had to go to university you moved uh, to the city? Mm-hmm. Yes, I came to the city when I was coming to college. Okay. So the secondary school part was still in, within the village setup, although it was a distance away. It was like a two hours drive from home, okay. but still within the same vicinity. So sort of mm-hmm. environment wise, nothing much really changed. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so, so growing up, um, who were some of your role models? I know you said you're your father and your mother, they, you know, you had a very loving relationship, you know, with yes. you and your family. So who were one of your, some of your role models growing up? Um, let me say, in the environment that I grew up, mm-hmm. um, having very loving parents who actually called each other darling, and until late in life is when we realized that they were calling each other daddy. That is how they used to call each other. And growing up, we thought that was their name. You know, until we knew it was actually just darling translated to our mother tongue, Dari. And um, I found that nice that people grew up calling each other darling. But I had a brother, mm-hmm. an elder brother, mm-hmm. who looked like he was achieving and he was getting his way around education. Mm-hmm. And he was a teacher. As I was going to my secondary school, he was already a teacher. Mm-hmm. And I really looked up to him. In a lot of ways, you know, I desired, mm-hmm. you know, to to achieve something in life, to be like my brother, mm-hmm. because within that area, even up to today, I have I don't think I have so many women to to look up to in terms of being um, a role model. Like I would want to be like so and so. There wasn't really much of that, mm-hmm. and so I I still had this desire of to be the person one day that probably people would look up to and desire to be like one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can say, yes, I am a person that people within the village mm-hmm. as a woman would look up to and desire to be like. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, so your, your brother was your role model in the way he was achieving and that's what prompted you to go to university? Yes, there was there wasn't much else to look to look at. There wasn't much exposure. There no TV, so not like you see somebody performing on TV and which which could be like friends. So no. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my brother really inspired me a lot. Oh, okay. So so when you went to university, what did you study? Uh, sorry, I didn't hear you. When when you went to university, what did you mm-hmm. study? What did I study? Mm-hmm. Okay, I went to a college called Utali, um, Kenya Utali College. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the best institution within Eastern Africa that uh, offers courses for tourism. Oh, okay. And so we had a good exposure in college in terms of people from other countries, Rwanda, Burundi, Tanzania, Uganda. They all used to come and do tourism within that college because... Mm-hmm. I think even today, that is still the best institution in as far as hospitality is concerned. So I studied uh, hospitality, so to speak, mm-hmm. but specifically I did tour guiding and administration 
And then they further did uh, ticketing, which is the internationally renowned IATA course for ticketing. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I have done as a career, like all my life. Mm. That has been my career. I'm in hospitality, I'm in tourism, and I'm, I'm really happy to be in this industry. So so when um, when you went to the university, when you went to college to study um, hospitality, is that like a three-year degree? Is that a four-year degree? How does that work? Um, it is a three-year degree. Okay. Um, so we had exposure of going to the bush and learning flora and fauna, mm-hmm learning all this history about uh, the animals so that when you graduate, you can be able to guide a safari mm-hmm. and teach the tourists or people that you're guiding mm-hmm. and what it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So it was like a three-year school, yes. Oh, okay. And so so you had planned after you graduated that you were going to go work for a tourist company? To a company, yes. Yeah. Um, those were the plans because that is the industry that would uh, absorb you after the course that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so soon after college, I think I only stayed home for about two months mm-hmm. and then I got a job. It wasn't very hard to get a job in our industry at that time. Mm-hmm. So I was able to get a job and work in the tourism industry. And I moved uh, from college, from um, one company to another. I think I only moved twice. Mm-hmm. When, when I joined the first company, it was sort of an attachment. Mm-hmm. And then soon after the attachment for six months, I got a permanent job with a different company that I worked with for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And then um, they were bought out by another company. So we were all taken to the next company. So basically, it was one long continuation of employment within the same kind of environment. Mm-hmm. And I worked there for another 16 years. Wow. So that's, yes. that's pretty unusual these days to be able to stay with one company for that long. I know. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. I mean, they must have been, I mean, at that time too, they must have been, you know, it, it must have been really good and the, the industry must have been good. The company must have been really good. That's amazing. The company was good. The industry was good. But I think what kept me more there it's not the company being good and the industry being good. It is that I needed that job. Uh, okay Uh, yeah i think a lot of our own um our own drive kind of forces us to do what we need to do yeah yes so 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 tell me a little bit more about your family so while you were working were you is that when you got married did you find your husband uh after you after you found your job or while you were in college how did that all work out um the way i was brought up and in the village set up for me those days We didn't have a story of dating. You have this boyfriend, or you dropped off and you have another boyfriend, and that never happened in my life. Mm -hmm. So even when I left the village and went to the city, the mindset never changed. Mm -hmm. So as I was in college, I can tell you for a fact, I never dated anyone in college. Mm -hmm. Of course, we went out with girls and what have you, but I never like had a boyfriend because to me, the moment you have a man friend in your life, mm-hmm. that meant marriage. Mm-hmm. And because I'm not ready for marriage, mm-hmm. I did not date. Mm-hmm. And so when I left college, when I was in that company that I was doing an attachment from, mm-hmm. um, part of my work entailed 
going around different hotels. Mm-hmm. We had uh, like a sales desk in different hotels. We could have a sales desk at Hilton, at the Norfolk, at the Stanley. And we took turns, several ladies mm-hmm. as a sales group. Mm-hmm. And we rotated around the hotel desks. Mm-hmm. Three days at the Norfolk, then you go one day off. Three days at the Stanley, three days at the Intercon, three days. And that's how I met my husband. Mm-hmm. When I was doing those rounds in mm-hmm. as an intern, mm-hmm. that's where I met him because then he was working at a hotel, at the Stanley Hotel to be specific. Mm-hmm. Which, which, yes. So he was also in hospitality just like you? Was in, in, um, he was working in a health club within the hospitality industry. Ah, gotcha. Okay. So so in, uh, in Kenya... Um, mm-hmm. is, 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 so is that how normally people um, get married? They would find their own partner, you would date and then you would get married? Or did, do your parents find somebody in a range because, you know, you have to find somebody from the same village or anything like that? Um, let me say in Kenya, we probably have a little of people's marriages that have been arranged, but they're never forced. Mm. What parents would, would normally do is probably within, within my mother's circle of friends. Maybe one, one parent is seeing another woman's child and desires and she will insinuate, you know, not mm-hmm. so much in the open, but like, mm, I think so and so son is not so bad. But I don't think anybody would agree if a forced mm-hmm. marriage or an arranged marriage in Kenya. No. Mm-hmm. People will... You will love each other. You will date. Mm-hmm. You will introduce your partners to your families. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll say yes. They will say no. Mm-hmm. But really, you're, you're left to sort of like decide mm-hmm. do you want to get married. And that, is, that is not the whole of the country because we have particular, as I mentioned before, we have different tribes in Kenya. We are about right. 44 tribes. Mm-hmm. So we have um, like the Maasai community. Mm-hmm. The Maasai community has both. Mm. For those that have gone to school and studied and that kind of thing, they're able to date and marry the people they love. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, mm. I'd say less than 50% has actually gone to school. The majority are still within the rural kind of environment. Okay. And they've got arranged, not arranged, I'm saying, let me use the right word, forced, mm. forced marriages because those children are normally married off as underage, oh, okay. so a teen, 14 year old. Mm-hmm. So what they, they they do is make them through go um, circumcision to speak, mm-hmm. the FGM, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. When the child is still small, 12, 11, 12 year old, and mm-hmm. the moment you've gone through that, right, you're ready for marriage. So an old man who has enough cattle, mm-hmm will come and, you know, speak to your father when they're having their drink mm-hmm. and so they'll offer 50 cows, whatever. And your father will marry you off to the highest bidder. Who could so that be still happens? Or older. That still happens to date okay. within that community. Okay. So you said there are 44 tribes in Kenya and the Maasai are the largest? No, they're very small. The Kikuyu are the largest. They're very small and they start to their culture. In fact, okay. when you talk about tourism in Kenya, mm-hmm. when you talk about culture, apparently the culture that you hear more about is the Maasai culture. They're very, very popular because they start to their culture, but they are a small community. They're very proud of their culture. Therefore, 
you know, it, it's like, like it almost become like a signature for Kenya's culture. Right, right. Yeah. So, so what? So, what is your tribe? What is your tribe? I am Kikuyu. I come from the central part of Kenya. Uh-huh. So, my tribe is called Kikuyu. Uh, as of now, I think Kikuyu is the largest tribe that we have in Kenya. Okay. The most dynamic people who are business minded, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so there is no requirement that you have to marry somebody from your own tribe. No. Oh, okay. And especially now, things have really changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have actually lost a lot about their culture. Oh, okay. Except the Maasai, and that's why they have become the, like the signature for the Kenyan culture. Mm-hmm. But we we are also, let me say, as a country, we are also encouraging cross-culture marriages. Mm-hmm. And why we are doing that is because, like, times when we have elections, you find politicians, you find politicians like um, politicking along tribal lines. And mm-hmm. a few a few instances have happened where people have fought uh, have uh, fought with each other. Your next door neighbor who speaks a different language becomes your enemy overnight, and you fight because you know it is my tribe that wants to take the seat for the MP. It's my tribe that wants to. It's my tribe, and mm-hmm. so even as parents, I can tell you for a fact, our age group we are encouraging our children to go through cultural cross cultural marriages. My daughter is married to a man who is of a different. Uh, language and culture from mine mm-hmm. because we want them to have to have a generation that identifies themselves as Kenyans, not right. as tribes. Right, right. Because once my grandchildren don't even know whether they are Luya or Kikuyu, mm-hmm. another family does not know that they are Lu or Kamba, mm-hmm. finally you end up being Kenyan. Right. Right. So we are actually really encouraging the cross-cultural marriages and we think it's going to help heal this country at the end of the day. A few generations to come, people will look at themselves in a national way, not in a tribal way. Um, so, so there is only, so, so every tribe has its own language, yeah? Yes, we have different languages. Okay. Some of them, we understand each other. Mm-hmm. Some we don't. So, it, so it is all, um, it's all, uh, speaking, I mean, does it have a script or is it only just speaking? Just, just even in the script, because like people have Bibles in their own languages. Okay. But now we have Kiswahili. Kiswahili is our national language, so we all meet at that one language. Everybody speaks and understands Kiswahili. Oh, okay. So Jambo, yeah? Yes. <laughs> That's the only word I know from Swahili. <laughs> Okay, so I did not know that. So Swahili is the national language of Kenya, but you also yes, have your is. tribal languages depending on which yes. tribe. Yes, and then English is the official language because right. it's the language that is used in schools for teaching and that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Just like in yeah. India, in India also uh, English mm-hmm. is the official language. Yeah, we yeah. also have different mm-hmm. languages for every state. Yeah. Uh, yep, and we do have Hindi, which is the national language. Yeah. So I understand. I understand how that yeah. works. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. realize that Swahili was the national language. But that's really it is. cool. It is a national language. Okay. So, so when you when you got married to your husband, did you yes. have to um, introduce him to your family? Yes, I did. And did they ask <laughs> which tribe he's from? Was he from the same tribe as you? He's from the same tribe, but from a different region. Ah, okay. So what happened? Because of people in my village not really putting education to a lot of giving it a lot of importance, 
most of my age mates dropped off school and got married at a very early age. Okay. And so uh, every time I go home uh, when I close college, my mom uh, used to say, "Oh, you've not shown as a friend. Why can't you?" And I kept telling her, "Mom, I'm still in school." Mm-hmm. And she say, "Look at so and so. They have a big child. I said, they dropped off school. Mm-hmm. They left school at class five. I've gone up to college, so I had so much pressure, mm-hmm. so much pressure from my parents. And let me say, my mom." Mm-hmm. You know, as in you getting old, and my dear, getting old. I was only twenty-two, mm-hmm. but because the others already have children, mm-hmm. uh, it seemed like I'm actually getting late somehow. So anyway, so when I finished college and I'm still going through this pressure, and I did not have a boyfriend, mm-hmm. she didn't know that, and she kept asking, and I told her, okay, I will bring somebody home. Mm-hmm. And um, when I started, when I started seeing my now husband, mm-hmm. as I told you, I was not even employed. So mm-hmm. I was actually like an intern. I didn't have a job. And he was a manager in the hotel where one of the hotels where I used to work as mm-hmm. in the health club. And so my dad got sick, very, very sick, something that was very unusual. I had never seen or had my dad sick my mm-hmm. entire life. And um, I told him, you know, um, I need to go home and see my daddy do you mind coming with me? I had no intention of introducing him as a future husband because we hardly ever knew each other. We were only three months seeing each other. And he was like, oh, you're not afraid? I'm like, what for? Let's go home. So we went home. Mm-hmm. And uh, for my parents, for them to see me with, in the company of a man, mm-hmm. that meant something. Mm-hmm. My dad um, had been in bed for like two weeks, he had not left his bed. So when he had, oh, Angie's here and she's with a friend, I think he just interpreted, oh, she's come to show me her boyfriend or her husband to be or something. Mm-hmm. And so for the first time in two weeks, my dad actually woke up. Wow. And came to the sitting room, which was a good thing for us, mm-hmm. for everybody. Oh, this is a plus sign. And when he came and met um, Mick, let me call him by his name, he's called Mick. Mm-hmm. You know what my dad asked me? Mm-hmm. In our culture, we have a habit of your, your daughter's uh, husband, mm-hmm. you call them dad. And um, like now my mother-in-law my, my called me mom. My father-in-law would call me mom because the children that I bear will have their names. Oh, that's okay. how we name our children. So for my dad, my husband is his father. Because if we bear children, we will name him. So dad came and asked me, is this my dad? Oh. Okay. What will I tell you, Malini? Because I got lost. I, mm-hmm. I got confused. I got like, and I said, yes. <gasps> Somebody that I had, Lino. Mm-hmm. And then my daddy calls him, holds his hand and tells him, Dad, I bless you. Oh, what was his reaction? That was my dad's reaction. My husband, my husband now, Mick was like, thank you. Uh. We came back to the city. Mm-hmm. Two weeks down the line, my dad passed on. Oh, at least you got to show him, you know, at least he got to see, I think he died knowing that you were going to be okay. Now he's the man saying, 
I did not even ask for your hand in marriage. Your dad literally gave you to me. <laughs> so that is how my introduction, <laughs> my introduction for me to my family was. It was never planned. He was not going to be my husband. I was not, I had not hardly known him. And um, that became it. So how many, how, after how long did you actually get married after your father passed away? Once my dad passed away, um, I got myself a small room. I was renting a small, a very small room which had everything in it. Mm-hmm. The toilet is just one step in the toilet, one step you're in bed. Mm-hmm. A very small bed sitter. And um, while I was in that bed sitter, Mick started now coming to visit. One day, one shirt, next day, one trouser, and before I knew it, so 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 in Canada, i mean um um do you guys have like religion i mean or do you have your own tribal way of getting married do you follow is it christianity or is it something else how how do you what what do you when you have a, a, a religious ceremony do you have it like in a whatever is your tribal way of celebrating We've got mm-hmm. we've got three ways of how people um, do marriages in Kenya. Mm-hmm. You can either do it the traditional way, mm-hmm. where you will go to the parents. They'll tell you what they need. You slaughter whatever the parents will tell you. Depends on which culture you are getting married into. Mm-hmm. We have Christianity, mm-hmm. where um, you will also agree whose church you go to. Normally, you will use the girls' church if your denomination is. Because in Christianity we have so many other, you know, mm-hmm. either you're Catholic, you're Protestant, and that kind of thing. Most of the times you use a girl's church if it's any different from yours. Or you can actually go to the AG. However, I can tell you with all those three options, the majority just do come with stay. What is what is the what is the common way? Come we stay. Most of the people have just been come we stay. I've gone seen your parents. Yes, they've said yes, we live together for marriage. And people have stayed in marriages for 10, 20 years, and they're only solemnizing them. 20 years down the line, but they've been living together. Oh, okay. So so that's pretty okay. As long as you have your parents' blessings, you just you just live together. There's no need yeah, to solemnize. You, you not not really. you should solemnize because should things happen really. Things happen, my dear. Mm-hmm. But when people get comfortable, you find them living together without, you know, anything formal that puts them together as man and wife. Mm-hmm. That happens a lot here. Okay, so there is no... Um, so what happens, like, when you have children, like you said, they will get your parents' names? Names, so, yes. Okay. So do you, yeah. do the, does the, the woman is, take... The name woman... is different based on tribes, again. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Some tribes name after their people, like we do. Mm-hmm. Some other tribes, like from Western Kenya, they name them with the time they were born. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. somebody might just like you as a friend, Malini, and the next girl like get is called Malini. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it depends on the tribe. So, so the, do you like uh, take your husband's name? Like you know, when you get married, your your last name changes. That's how they do it in in other places. Do, does that happen, or you stay, you keep your original name? Um, do you have like a first name and a last name? Like your Angela, your Angelica Witt. So 
is yeah. wait like your father's name or is that your husband's name? Wait, is my husband's name? Uh-huh. But it is it is the way you wish to do it as a couple. There's nothing restrictive. You can still have your marriage certificate, and if you wish to keep your maiden name mm-hmm. in your papers, yes, you do. It depends. But oh. in our in our generation, you wanted that name to be there. Ah, okay. Not that it adds value, but mm-hmm. yeah, you want to be named with uh, you know to be known with somebody else's name. My daughter has said no. I'm keeping my names. You keep yours. Be a husband and wife legally. And uh, life goes on. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. So, 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 but what about you? Did you actually like go to a church and get married, or did you just live together, or did you have a tribal marriage? How did you? How did you? Do, did you legalize your um, arrangement or no? Mine went through phases of all of those. Hmm. In the beginning, it was a family stay, as I've just told you. Mm-hmm. When we went and saw my parents and then Mick moved in one one shirt, one jacket, and finally moved in. Mm-hmm. And we, we lived together until um until our boy was about two, the one who's 24 now. Mm-hmm. And that's when he said, No, I think we need to solemnize this. And so we had a very small church, church wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't even bring our parents mm. done in a hurry. Uh, I was told, like in a week time, I would marry you on Friday, mm-hmm. and uh, we called a few friends. We had it solemnized, and then he took off and went somewhere to look for a job for about three months. God knows where, mm-hmm. and um, of course that was being done so that while you're away, mm-hmm. you cannot change your mind. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I've gone through. Can we say I've gone through a little touch wedding, and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so your your son is your younger um, child or your older child? My son is the youngest. Okay, so so um, um, after after you got married, you yes. found your job with the with the tourist company. Yes, I did. Okay, so and you were um, managing with the so job. I was I was. Yes. And and the husband and the house and then you had two yeah. babies. And babies. Yes. And how, <laughs> how did you manage all of that? Uh tough, 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 tough. Yeah. Now when when I got married, um my husband, as you hear, we met in a hotel. He was a hotel he was a manager for them mm-hmm. for sports. Mm-hmm. And um by the time we were getting to know each other for those three months before we went home, three months after we came from home, he stopped one. Oh. Don't ask me why, because to date I do not know oh. why he stopped one. Mm-hmm. And so when, when we stayed together, I ended up being the only breadwinner. Mm-hmm. He refused to work. He's a very talented man. He would go do odd jobs wherever, wherever, wherever. But trust you me, um, for those many years, he's never known what his children ate, what they clothed, how they went to school. No. But um, let me say, we are very lucky in our community. Mm-hmm. Maybe lucky, maybe unlucky. Whichever one that like to choose. For me, I would say lucky. Somebody else would think I am being selfish. Unfortunately, the fact that I cannot change mm-hmm. because um, 
we we are able to get house helps and they're not that expensive to keep. Mm-hmm. So if you're lucky to get a good house help who will stay with your children, mm-hmm. then you are able to hustle and go to work mm-hmm. and still be able to have your children in good hands. So right. I was able to have good house helps along the way. Mm-hmm. But when it came to the time when the children were going to school, Nick came in handy at that point in terms of helping them do their homework and that kind of thing. So I was able now to handle employment, family, and it's not easy. It's not easy when you're you're the only breadwinner. And sometimes when you when you want to come home and feel like somebody is affirming what you're doing or is appreciating what you're doing and you don't get to hear anything, mm-hmm. it can be very difficult. Yes. Very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. So let me say it's it's not been easy. It's been over 30 years of marriage. Mm-hmm. And many a time, not then, mm-hmm. even now, mm-hmm. I still I still um like ask myself does it feel to be loved by a man? Mm-hmm. What is there? What is what is this relationship that I find some people so happy about? Mm-hmm. Am I missing a point? Did I miss a point? It's, it's, something is not right. So, so it leaves you with a lot of gaps in your life. Mm-hmm. Wanting to feel appreciated for the little that you're doing. You're putting food on the table. You're paying rent. You're buying clothing for not just the children, including their daddy. Mm-hmm. If there's going to be a family car, you buy it, you fuel it. You... And as then you want, you just want to take a break. Yeah. But unfortunately, there isn't a break. <laughs> You've got to keep going. And have to gather a lot of courage to keep being good at it. Yes. I thank God. I thank God for every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, because um, my children are now done with school. They've done, they've both done their master's degrees. My daughter has a degree in environment and marine, mm-hmm. and she's now working with me in uh, sustainability here. Mm-hmm. My son has done his master's degree in architecture, mm-hmm. and we're just looking at um, how the COVID season goes, so he can also take up a job someplace. So mm-hmm. I thank God, at least I've been able to see them through school. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, that at least makes me happy. <laughs> And that's incredible. It. It's, worth, that's, it's worth it. It was yes, worth it. I mean that that is all your sacrifice, right? And and your hard work that has got them through college mm-hmm. and degrees, and now they're working and on their own for the most part. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, so you um, you said that you had worked um for this one company for more than twenty mm-hmm. years, but then something yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. And that kind of prompted you to start on your own. What was what was yes. that incident? Oh my goodness! Um, let me tell you, Malini. During my employment, I worked hard, mm-hmm. hard as hard can be. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I worked so hard is because I had no fallback plan. Mm-hmm. I had no fallback plan because I did not have somebody who could support me in the family. Mm-hmm. And as far as the family front is concerned, if I did not have this job, who will feed my children? Mm-hmm. How do I get them full? How do I pay for rent? And therefore, I gave it my best shots 
uh, I wish my boss could say something that you did your best. Because I worked as though this company belonged to me. Mm-hmm. I became good at what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I grew from just a tourist travel consultant. I went to senior consultant. I went to branch manager. And finally, I went to business development manager for the whole company. Mm-hmm. And um, I say I stayed so long in employment because I was afraid. Let me say I was afraid to lose the only thing I was sure of, mm-hmm. a salary that I was, I was getting every end of a month. That was the only thing that I was sure of. But along the way, the salary was never enough. Mm-hmm. Because as the children grow, the needs are increasing. And again, you also have parents, as here with the extended families, there's mm-hmm. so much is expected out of view every other time. Mm-hmm. And so I learned how to do side businesses a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So I would look for a day when I'm off duty and I would go to a secondhand uh, market and buy mutumba. mutumba uh, we call secondhand clothes mutumba. Mm-hmm. So I'd buy mutumba, I'd wash them, iron them, pack them in a bag, and I would go around offices selling. I would call my friends. I would sell shoes. I would, when I got a little money, I remember years back, I started Shylock, a Shylock business with 50000 So I'm sure with this 50000 I'll be getting another 10000 end of the month. I have done, um, what will I say, Forex, Forex, whatever. And along the way, I've lost quite a bit of money because I kept trusting people with the little that I have, hoping that at the end of the month or at the end of the day, comes back with an extra chilling. However, it taught me a good lesson mm-hmm. in also being able to do something for me in terms of the income. Because on a good month, you find you're probably making more money than your salary with your side business. Whatever little that you're doing, you're doing it over and over again, and you're able to put some money aside, you are saving. And slowly by slowly, I was even able to save enough money to buy some land and build a family home. I'm very oh proud. wow! So your your side business actually made more money, so that you could actually some, buy land and build a house. Yes, yes. At some point, yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I worked and um, worked really, really hard. But um, in 2016, which is when my daughter uh, got her first baby. Mm-hmm. Got a baby, it was on my birthday. On the 25th of May 2016, she gave birth to her boy, whom we share a birthday. And I had taken leave for three weeks to take care of her because she was in my house then. Mm-hmm. Three weeks down the line, I go back to work. Um, and about four days after I got back to work, my employer called me, gave me a call. Where I was working, um, I was having a branch where my boss was not there every day. He used to come once on a Wednesday for about an hour. Then we would go through the work of the week, the incoming work, where we at, how are the staff, and that kind of story. So this one day, I'm in the office, and um, he calls me and says, are you in the office? And I said, yes, I am. 
And he told me, okay, come to the cafeteria downstairs. So I grabbed my notebook and a pen and I ran downstairs. The usual, if my boss ever called me, or if, if whatever I go for a meeting, I always have something to scribble on because I think, I think better when I scribble. Mm-hmm. And so I went. Expecting to just find him, I found the whole management team around a table mm-hmm. having coffee and the accountant with a laptop. And, and something told me something is not right here because when meetings are held within my area of jurisdiction, so to speak, um, I work at an area called Karen. It is me who arranges for those meetings because it is my area. When I go to the head office, another manager does that. Mm-hmm. And so when I found them within my area, without my knowledge, and I never called for a meeting, mm-hmm. I kept thinking, so who called for this meeting? And what? Anyway, I grabbed my book, sat down, said hello, and asked for a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And I'm relaxed because after all, mm-hmm. um, as I'm taking my coffee, my boss now starts talking and he said, um, I have heard or I have been told that you have opened a travel agent under the desk. You have been stealing my clients and selling them your services. And um, what do you have to say? And I told him, whoever told you is lying. Mm-hmm. It is not true. Mm-hmm. I don't have a company registered. I have no business that is running under the desk. I have not tried to take any business out of this company. And if you want to know the truth, talk to the clients. Because if I'm picking clients, the clients are the ones who can tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not biased against any race, Malini, mm-hmm. but my boss happened to be white. Mm-hmm. And most of my clients within the area that I worked and where I now live happen to be white. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I know the loyalty. Mm -hmm. I knew the loyalty. These clients used to walk into the office. If somebody has not been within the area or within the country for a long time, they used to walk in and ask you the one question, does Alan still own this company before they can really begin with you? So I knew their loyalty Mm -hmm. to my boss. Mm-hmm. And I told him, talk to the clients. Mm-hmm. They are the only ones who can give you a true picture of mm-hmm. whether I am running a business under the desk or not. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, I've been told. And I kept telling him, Alan, it is not true. Can mm-hmm. just ask the clients? Mm-hmm. And if you find one client, one client mm-hmm. who I ever approached to give services outside your office, Mm-hmm. I am ready to walk away. Just got back to his briefcase, got a letter, gave it to me and said, you're fired. Oh my gosh. I did not ask her. Mm-hmm. the letter and I signed it. And then I was made to go back to the office up, upstairs. My colleagues followed me up. And they stood around my desk to watch me pack so that I don't pick anything that belongs to the company. Mm. So I packed my few belongings. I called my boss and the accountant, and I took them to the back of the office where we had the safe. And I told them, now, here, let me show you the combination. So at least you're able to run your office while I'm gone. Mm-hmm. I taught them how to do the combination. I told them, now, when I'm done, 
you can now change it in case something mm-hmm. happens, mm-hmm. then I am not responsible. Right. By one o'clock, I had a few belongings in my paper bags that I collected around the office because I had not left them back, so I had no bag. I picked a few things that belonged to me, went downstairs, got to my small car, and something told me, Angie, you have a decision to make. Either you go home and cry, Mm -hmm. or you start off somewhere. And I told God at that point, my boss has just said I have a travel agent. I don't. I had no intentions of opening a, a, a travel agent at that time. Mm-hmm. But you've been pushed to the wall. What do you do? The best thing you know how. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, and I told God, give me the strength. That travel agent that he talked about, I will have. And I drove around the current area, Malini, looking for office space. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me where, because I didn't have an idea. So I just went to malls, or do you have space? And I did that for like a week. Mm-hmm. But while I was doing that, because as the business development manager, I'd grown with this company for so long. Clients knew me. Mm-hmm. I knew them. And apparently, I had been made the 24 hours response number for the company. Mm-hmm. So my number was on the website. Every client knew my number. And I had almost every client's number. And so I called a few of them. I told them I have left, and this is what has happened. And some of them, the same very friends of his, were asking me, how? Just how? The people who did not know the boss, because I had so many clients that I had brought in myself over the years, Mm -hmm. are asking me, how does one get sacked from their own company? And I'm like, it wasn't my company. Mm -hmm. I was employed. And I was like, no. No, 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 no. There's no employee who behaves the way you have behaved. Mm-hmm. These are people that I brought to the company. Mm-hmm. They didn't know I was not the owner. So they were supporting me all these years based with the relationships that we built and thinking and knowing I own the business. Mm-hmm. Anyway, as I struggled and called the clients, I went to a Java cafe next door. They knew me. Fortunately, I'm a very good person, so I make friends quite easily. Mm-hmm. And I went and talked to the gentleman, and I told him, you know what? I need a table here. Mm-hmm. And I will be reporting at this table every morning, and I'll be working from here. So I got the Wi-Fi, so I used to come, do my coffee, call my clients. I have a lap- my laptop there. And believe you me, for the first week, I was able to sell tickets from the comfort of a cafeteria, mm-hmm. Clients trusted me with their money, mm-hmm. knowing very well I don't have an office. Mm-hmm. They left me with their money. And I was able to buy tickets and they could come. I print the tickets from uh, their like, office and they come and collect the tickets from the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. I found that very humbling that clients would trust me with their money. Mm-hmm. Knowing very well, if I ran away from that cafeteria, they probably would have no idea that mm-hmm. would get me. Right. But they still went ahead and trusted me. Mm-hmm. And um, eight days of that struggle, looking for an office, you go back to Java, you call clients. I got an office. 
this is an office space where I don't have money because my mm. boss never paid me a penny to date. Mm. And now I enter the office and uh, I'm looking at this space and suddenly it hit me, Angie, you have no money. Angie, you have no furniture, you have no zero. And I sat on the floor with my laptop. And I can tell you, Malini, for the first time since I was sacked, mm-hmm. I cried. Mm-hmm. I cried so hard mm-hmm. behind that closed door. Mm-hmm. But as I cried, I told God that I pray that you open this door for me so that I will make what I was told I am doing happen mm-hmm. and happen for me. I was able to buy a few desks and start, and uh, within a month, two months, three months, you're working alone, but you're getting somebody to just help you if you're busy, make a call to a friend, oh, please, could you get me this position for a safari, blah, blah, blah. And um, I can tell you four years down the line, here I am. Mm -hmm. I'm very, very proud with what I am doing. Mm -hmm. I have a staff of five not mentioning the drivers who are mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. And um, I could not ask for more. And your daughter works with you too, right? My daughter is working with me. I opened a sustainability department mm-hmm. to be able to make people have responsible travel. Mm-hmm. She's training other travel agents or tour companies to do responsible travel, mm-hmm. to do eco-rating for hotels around the country. Mm-hmm. And um, that is where we are. That's awesome. That is so awesome. When God closes the door, he opens a window, doesn't he? He does. He does. So I told my daughter before she resigned, I kept talking to her and I'm telling her, learn from my life. Don't wait to be employed for 20, 30 years mm-hmm. and start creating your brand in your 50s. Mm-hmm. Get employed. Do the best while you're there. Mm-hmm. Do your very best, but leave employment and grow your, your brand. Mm-hmm. And that's she has accepted to do that. I am really, really happy that she has taken up the challenge. Mm-hmm. Because right now, even as she runs the Department for Sustainability, mm-hmm. the very company she worked for is giving her work as a consultant. That's awesome. Because and your daughter is what, 27, 28? Is 28. I told her, always respect where you are because you never know when you need to knock that door again. Right. Okay. So do your best where you are. Even when you leave, if you knock that door, they will embrace you. Mm-hmm. So right now she's able to do consultancy for them because she left, you know, with a clean, with a clean page. I am sure. My boss, the former employer, mm-hmm. would like to have me back. Anytime, but um, what I've learned in these four years, I can never unlearn. So, <laughs> and so I'm moving on, and I'm really happy that my daughter has listened to me, mm-hmm. and um, she's doing something for us as a brand, as digital um, trails, and she's also growing her own brand that is go- called Green Catalyst. What is it called? Green Catalyst. Oh, Catalyst. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, did you did your boss ever call you back after you started your own company? Yes, he did. Oh, he did. 
because I took him to thoughts to pay my dues. Mm -hmm. Because you don't work for 17 years faithfully, which is what actually really hurt me. Mm -hmm. Faithfully, and I'm serious about it, and walk away empty handed. Mm -hmm. And so I took him to court. We've not not gotten a hearing to date as we speak right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the middle of things, he called me once and he said he would like us to settle outside court. And so I went and we had coffee and, um, and he kept saying, I'm truly sorry. I should have listened to you. Something went wrong somewhere. But even if I gave you your job today, I know you wouldn't take it. I told him you're right about that. I'm not going to mm-hmm. take the job back. Mm-hmm. And um, he told me, would you like to settle outside court? And I told him, if there's something that I would love, is to settle this matter amicably. Because we were friends. Whatever happened, I do not know. Mm-hmm. But I know that we worked as friends. Besides you being my boss, mm-hmm our working relationship was good because my daughter is the, was also working with him for mm-hmm. incorrecting. But now, from where she used to work, she used to be sent to go and do incorrecting for the company. Mm-hmm. He came for my daughter's graduation. I'm like, we were friends. So I don't know what happened. And so he said, okay, something went wrong. I know you won't take back your job. But uh, okay, let me give you an offer. I told him it's fine. If you give me an offer and we can work with us, I'm happy to do that. I had sued my boss for about 7.5 million. Mm-hmm. He gave me an offer for 1 million. Okay. And he settled outside of court. So I told him, you can keep the million. Let's meet in court. Okay. We met in court once and they asked for an adjournment for whatever reasons. And then by the time it was adjourned, COVID happened. So we haven't had a chance to meet again. <laughs> Good for you, Angie. You went after them. Yeah, so so basically I'm still in court with him. If we meet, we we'll say hello. We will I have no bad blood at all. Mm-hmm. My daughter is still doing a a consultation for on behalf of that company, no problem. Mm-hmm. But I, I really, I really feel that I was, I was unfairly judged. I was never given a chance to be heard. And clients told him as, as much. You've sucked your best staff, mm-hmm. you know. But um, it was, it was under the bridge, too late, too late. Yeah. 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 But I thank God it happened. I truly thank God it happened. Mm-hmm. Now I know something different. Yes. So in all these years, you figured mm-hmm. things out, you know, when your back yes. is to the wall, you had no yes. help, you had no fallback, you figured out what you needed to do, you went along, you did what you needed to do most, mm-hmm. you took care yeah. of stuff, you took care of your family, you took care of your kids, you took yes. care of your clients. So what was the most, what would you say was the most important lesson you've learned so far? Um... Let me say this. What I have learned mm-hmm. and what I would tell every girl, every woman, and possibly every man, always have multiple streams of income. Never rely on this one line faithfully because you don't know. You, there's no surety that this line is going to last forever. Mm-hmm. 
So along the way, I've done a lot of little things here and there. Like mm-hmm. I just said, I sold Mutumba clothes. Mm-hmm. I did Shylock with my 50,000. Sometimes you lose the money, sometimes you gain. Mm-hmm. I've done forex trading. I've sold clothes even as we speak today. Today, mm-hmm. My car is a shop, my dear. Mm-hmm. I always have something to sell in that mm-hmm. car. Mm-hmm. I, have, I look at the season and I go with the season. Like we've, we've had a very cold season the last two, three months. I always have fleece blankets in my car for sale. Mm-hmm. Right now we are going into a hot season, September, October. Mm-hmm. I already have designed very beautiful um, hats, sun mm-hmm. hats that have a mask to match. Mm-hmm. And during this COVID, as the travel agents suffered, I was able to put food on the table using the fleece blankets. I talk to people and I'm not afraid to say what I'm doing. Mm. And I will find myself taking a thousand, two thousand, three thousand in a day. And mm. I'm able to, to put food on the table and at least even to pay rent for the office that I have now mm-hmm. as we wait for things to open. So always have something. So I always have a fallback plan. Mm. Have a fallback plan. The second thing that I have learned mm-hmm. is that we always have a fear of failure. Mm-hmm. It's okay to fail, my dear. It's okay. Mm. Problem would be if you don't wake up from that place and try again. To mm. so never be afraid to start because you think you will fail. Failure will always come. Mm-hmm. But keep giving yourself a healthy inner dialogue so often that you, you affirm yourself, affirm that what you're doing is right, believe in yourself, take action, even mm-hmm. when your knees are shaking, mm-hmm. take action, because nobody else will take that way, nobody. That is very true, that is very true. So looking back at your journey, Angie, mm-hmm. and knowing that everything that you've known, looking, you know, what you've done so far, and knowing what you know now, mm-hmm. What would you have told your younger self? Or is there anything that you would have changed about yourself? (laughs) If I were to meet that little Angie those days, I would tell her this. Believe in yourself. Mm. Start with loving you and pursue happiness at whatever cost. Mm All said and done, you only got yourself to lean back on. That's true. So do not capitalize on a negative self-talk mm-hmm. and dwelling on the past. Mm-hmm. I think that is what I would tell myself earlier. Mm-hmm. And what I can tell a friend who could be suffering, who could be thinking, I'm not enough, I cannot do this, is that it could be very dark in your life right now. Mm-hmm. But hey, light comes in the morning, so yeah. never give up. So if I was to put it in a nutshell, mm-hmm. I would say, if I knew then, all I know now, I would have done things very differently. Yeah. 
very differently. And I've taken firm decisions about my life. And I would never entertain fear as a workmate. I would hold my head very high and believe in me. That's awesome. That is so cool. Thank you, Angie. That's truly inspiring. I'm sure lots of other women are listening, will be listening to the story and saying, wow, I want to be just like her. You're going to be the role model that you always wanted to be. Yeah. Yeah. Some people get to a point. There's a point I got to in 1998 when my husband took off for three months. I didn't know where he was at all. Mm -hmm. I had taken some loan and given him because he said he wanted to do some business. Mm -hmm. And at that point, let me not lie to you or to anybody because now I can talk about it. I contemplated suicide. Oh my goodness. And now when I look back, my boy was only two. Mm. But I remember talking to a gentleman Mm -hmm. who found me crying in the office. Mm -hmm. A client, a stranger to me. Mm -hmm. Because I was wondering, where is this man? Where is he gone to? All the children, all what? And let me tell you, when I turned back, and stop thinking about suicidal thoughts, Mm -hmm. have never been the same again. Never ever entertain a fact that you can end your life, never. Mm -hmm. There's always an open door somewhere. Mm -hmm. All you do is actually turn around and look at it Mm -hmm. and face it with all the courage that you got within you. Yeah. Yes. There There is nothing that is that bad that you need to end your life, right? So today, I can tell you, I don't fear anything. Mm-hmm. I don't fear anyone. Mm-hmm. And what I think I need to do, I get it done. That's cool. You're a badass, Angie. You're a true warrior. <laughs> Just put God in everything that you do. And those doors you thought would never open will flood open right before your eyes. Yes, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Angie. I really appreciate you coming on the show today and talking about your life. You've been truly inspirational. Thanks, Malini. <laughs> I'd say thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak to a woman or to somebody who could be thinking that it is the end of the world. When you think it's the end, it's actually just the beginning of another chapter. Just turn the page. Just turn the page. Yep. Just turn the page. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you love the show, please leave a review. Just remember... You could be one story away from being inspired.